The following program is sponsored by Grant Stern. This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live, possibly for our last live studio show of the year. So if you've been listening to the Only in Miami show through the rest of the year, I encourage you to kick those shoes off. Relax. We've got a great show planned for you tonight. If you're stuck in traffic, and I guarantee you but from looking out this window at our Blue Lagoon studios, you probably are. Kick those shoes off. Stay tuned with us. We are going to play the best of the Only in Miami show from this year with interviews from the people in Miami-Dade County, whose importance is citywide or beyond, and it's going to be a great show. We have Florida, former Florida Senator Bob Graham. Uh, we are going to listen to an interview with Billy Corbin, who created Cocaine Cowboys and is the head of the Rack and Tour uh, production company. We will also hear from uh, Oski Gonzalez and the Oski Foundation and listen to some of his music. Peter Zalewski of Crane Spotters and Condo Vultures fame will make an appearance to talk about the Miami real estate market. And we will have JJR, who was a Florida state representative and got elected to the Florida State Senate this year. Uh, he's going to be, we're going to play some of his appearance on the program talking about for profit colleges. This is the part of the program, though, where I get a few minutes to speak to you directly the listening audience about issues of importance that affect us all in South Florida and sometimes beyond. And tonight I would like to speak with you about the Miami congressional race that was hacked by Russian hackers. It's an unbelievable yet entirely true and confirmed story. And I wrote about it for OccupyDemocrats.com and will be publishing very soon in Huffington Post as well. Sadly, the targets of this hack are both former guests of the Only in Miami show. Annette Tadeo, who was the chairman of the Miami-Dade Democratic Party until 2014 and who also ran for Florida's lieutenant governor role alongside Charlie Crist that year, and Joe Garcia, who was Florida's Democratic congressman from the 26th District from 2012 to 2014, faced off 
in an intra-party brawl. It was a difficult race, and at the key moment before a major televised debate, Russian hackers released a cache of emails that were pilfered from the Democratic Congressional uh, Campaign Committee and the DCCC, whose emails were stolen, contained what's called self-opposition research on Ms. Tadeo. In addition, there was an a research file on Mr. Garcia as well. And the timing of the disclosures guaranteed that the disclosures themselves would overwhelm any issues and turn the two candidates against each other on matters of partisan bickering, or shall we say off of the issues and matters of personality. And it worked. Unfortunately, when the mainstream media publishes stolen material and makes that into the story, the candidates themselves have no choice but to respond. And that is what happened. The chairman of the DCC said, this is not a traditional tit for tat on a partisan political campaign where one side hits the other and then you respond. This is an attack by a foreign actor that had the intent to disrupt our election and we were victims of it. The thefts occurred last spring. Even House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi was forced to change her personal cell phone number after it became flooded with abusive and threatening messages, as were numerous congressional uh, Democratic congresspeople forced to change their telephone numbers. Then they released their stolen material right before the debate, as I'd mentioned. Annette Tadeo told me exclusively the DCCC, uh, the DCCC told us that the FBI informed leadership that it was a Russian hack and to be wary of surfing to that website in case hackers wanted to infiltrate our devices. The timing was interesting because it came just two weeks before the primary. They got our internal polling. They got our internal mem memos about strategy. Everything. Mr. Garcia's campaign manager, Juan Peñalosa, told me this. It's a shame that no Democrat got to speak about the issues important to the voters because the news media was focused on the importance and contents of the leaked documents. Be it Annette Tadeo, Hillary Clinton, or Joe Garcia, they all wanted to speak with voters about the issues but were forced to respond to media reports that ultimately voters did not care about. Unfortunately, the strategy worked. In Florida, Guccifer 2.0's most important partner was an obscure political website run by an anonymous blogger called Hello Florida, FLA that's spelled, run by a former legislative aide turned Republican lobbyist. The blogger sent direct messages via Twitter to Guccifer 2.0 asking for copies of any additional Florida documents saying, I don't think you realize what you gave me. Looking at the costly internal DCCC political research that he had just been provided, this is probably worth millions of dollars. Guccifer 2.0 wrote back, Hmm, okay, you owe me a million. According to Salon, even the chair of the committee, Rep. Ray Lugan, was targeted by the hacks. And that wasn't the end of it either. The product of those hacked emails wound up in attack advertisements against Joe Garcia and against several other Democratic congressmen in hot races. 
Annette Tadeo concluded thusly to me in an email, uh, in a personal interview, it's dangerous territory that we're moving into. The shoe could always be on the other foot, which is why I never used any hacked information. It shows the troubling effect of Russian involvement against even a single congressional race. I lost. I'm okay with that, but I'm not okay with the Russian influence and I don't think that anyone should be okay with that, Republicans or Democrats. I am trying to make sure this never, ever happens again. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And before we go to the wonderful highlights of 2016, a year that everybody would acknowledge has not exactly been as wonderful as we'd like, I would like to discuss something that is affecting all of the members of the Democratic Party in Miami-Dade County. That is, of course, a leadership race, which is happening tomorrow in Miami's Wynwood Arts District at the former Clinton headquarters on Northwest 2nd Avenue and 22nd Street. There will be a meeting with registration starting at 6 p.m., and the meeting commences at 7 p.m. That is tomorrow in Miami's Wynwood Arts District, And that is where Miami-Dade Democrats will choose the next county party leader. But it's not just that. That county party leader is expected to have the inside track on becoming the chair of the Florida Democratic Party, which would mark the first time that a Miami-Dade Democrat chairs the state party in 25 years. It will be 2215 Northwest first place at the former Clinton headquarters tomorrow, Beginning at 7 p.m., that's when the meeting starts. If you're a member of the Democratic uh, Party, if you're a precinct captain or uh, part of the actual party, you get to vote. And even if you're not an official member of the party, you can still attend and you can still find out what's going on, meet everybody who is involved. And there will be a race between Mr. Stephen Battelle and Mr. Dwight Bullard. Mr. Bullard has been a guest on the program, and you can find out more about his appearance at OnlyInMiami.co. He debated uh, Andrew Korge during the Democratic primary for a Florida Senate seat that later he did not win in this November 8th election. But for the race, I crafted eight questions that I believe each one of these gentlemen must answer. And I'm going to put them out in an article on Huffington Post tomorrow, but I'm going to share those eight questions with you, the listening audience, tonight. Number one, what strategy will you deploy to unite the Democratic Party activists with political moderates, well-off voters, and occasional voter, donors, and occasional voters? Number two, what is your strategy to field quality candidates in every Florida House and Senate district in 2018? Number three, what is your overall strategy or plan to fund the Florida Democratic Party? Number four, Florida's two largest special interests are Big Sugar and FPNL. Both are closely aligned with the Republican Party of Florida. What is your strategy to fight the influence of those two industrial polluters who damage water quality, our beaches, and the Everglades in state elections. Number five, define the largest challenge you believe the FDP's director will face in 2017. How will you meet that challenge? Number six, what is the Democratic Party's brand in Florida today? What do you wish to make the FDP's brand tomorrow? Number seven, What will you do with FDP's messaging to appeal to independent voters and Republicans left behind by Tea Party and ultra-right-wing policies?
And number eight, will you support all eight priority actions in the sunshineagenda.com? That is www.sunshineagenda.com. And which two items will you prioritize and why? Again, you can find out more about that in sunshineagenda.com. Whoever has the best answers to these questions should win tomorrow night's leadership race amongst the Democratic Party. And I hope that everybody who cares about politics in Miami takes some time out of their week and goes to the former Clinton headquarters in Wynwood, 2215 Northwest First Place, Miami, Florida, 33127 at 7 p.m. for tomorrow night's meeting and registration begins at 6 p.m. That's Tuesday, December 20th. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're going to play some of the best of 2016 on the Only in Miami show. So stay tuned. I'm going to hit play for you on an interview with former Florida Senator and former Florida Governor Bob Graham. We're back with Senator Bob Graham. We're discussing his book, America, the Owner's Manual. You can fight City Hall and win. It's, he is going to be uh, speaking about it at the Miami Book Fair International this upcoming November 19th. It's a Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. Senator Graham, thank you so much for joining us on the program tonight. Great. Thank you, uh before the break, you said it was going to be this coming Saturday, actually, as you say. Well, this coming Saturday the 19th of November. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we want to make sure it's top of the mind for everybody. It's it's really yeah, a great event. It. Um, it's, a one, it's one of the world's great uh, book fairs and uh, with uh, uh, many, many uh, 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 well- regarded uh, authors, uh, an excited audience of book readers. Uh, it's kind of a festival of reading uh, at the uh, Miami-Dade downtown campus. Yeah, and it, we're lucky to have it here. I think it's the world's largest book fair, actually. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk about the book, actually, and I've got it here with me. It starts for our families to borrow from pr- President Theodore Roosevelt for the men and women who are actually in the arena, whose place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. What inspired you to write the, the owner's manual for America? I taught a class at Carroll City Senior High School a number of years ago uh, to a 12th grade uh, audience of about 25 uh, on the topic of what does every citizen need to know to make democracy work for them? Uh, I became excited with this topic of teaching civics, uh, but rather what I call teaching citizenship. How does a an American use their rights and responsibilities in a way uh, to not be just a spectator sitting in the stands watching democracy being played? but actually gets down on the field and becomes a participant, a player, uh, the man in the arena, as Theodore Roosevelt described him. Uh, And I taught this course again uh, when I was a fellow at the Kennedy School uh, and got good reaction from students and faculty there uh, and encouragement to convert this into a book. So that's the, the origin. Uh, the book itself is devoted to the 10 essential skills of effective citizenship, everything from uh, how do you define the, the, the problem in a way that will most likely attract uh, supporters to your cause, uh, to how do you uh, find out who is the decision maker and how to persuade that decision maker uh, through building coalitions, engaging uh, the media, uh, being cognizant of the clock and what's the right time to move on your issue. Uh, those are some of the 10 essential skills of effective citizenship. We start each chapter with a case study 
of how citizens use the skill that's going to be discussed in that chapter in order to achieve their end result, whether it was Barbara Kapitman, who used her ability to understand and persuade the decision maker to save South Beach. South Beach would have been leveled. It but was facing Barbara, the wrecking ball. It was falling apart back in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, Barbara Kapitman was the person in conjunction with her organization uh, that uh, saved uh, South Beach. Uh, that's one of our case studies. Uh, another case study is on Mothers Against Drunk Driving, a group of women in Sacramento, who, some of whom had lost a child uh, to a drunk driver and decided they were going to do more uh, than grieve. They were going to actually get involved uh, in trying to reduce the circumstances that contributed uh, to drunk driving. Uh, those are examples of the case studies. And then we have uh, tips from the pros, people who have actually been in the arena, sharing their thoughts about how to use uh, the skills that are being discussed in the book effectively. Uh, and then almost a guidebook like step-by-step -step, uh, instruction uh, in how do you decide who the right uh, target for your advocacy is? How do you decide how to raise the money that it's going to take uh, to support your fundraising uh, effort? Uh, those are the kind of practical things which all are key ingredients of being an effective citizen. Well, I wanted to skip to the end because I thought this was actually the most poignant part of the book because it's the most difficult part of being active in politics, being active in local government. It's entitled, it's in chapter 10, it's entitled, If You Have Lost, Recovering From Defeat. And it says, defeated on the playing field is never easy, whether in sports, business, law, or politics. And it stings the most when you care deeply about your cause. But a loss is not the time to surrender. As residents of East Los Angeles discovered more than once, initial defeat can serve as the foundation for future victory if you learn from the experience and refuse to go quietly into the night. Your steps for rehabilitation will include the following. I'm just going to read the, the, the titles. Try to, one, try to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Two, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Three, be gracious. Four, finish strong. Five, diagnose the problem and fix it. I, I love that. But can you give our audience a case study from your career where you met initial defeat and you had to turn it around and, you know, eventually came out on top? Uh, yes, um, uh, in the legislature, there were a number of times when uh, a piece of legislation that I felt was very important, very in the public interest, uh, was defeated. Uh, and what I found is that don't uh, just mope around that you lost. Uh, begin immediately to think about how do I resurrect this good idea uh, in another format, uh, the uh, in in government there tends to be uh, several roads that will lead you to the same destination. Uh, if your car breaks down on one of those roads, find another one that'll get you to the place that you want uh, to go. Sometimes 
uh, in a legislative session, you may take your idea, which uh, you developed as a freestanding, independent piece of legislation, and add it as an amendment to somebody else's uh, bill, uh, and you'll achieve the same result. Maybe you won't get as much recognition, but recognition is not the goal. It's accomplishing good public policy. Yeah, it's it's very difficult, and, and how you handle uh, defeat is really going to be more important than how you handle uh, success, because let's face it, um, defeat is much more prevalent, isn't it, <laughs> in politics? Yeah, well, uh, another example is the one we talked about a few minutes ago, and that's the 28 pages. Yeah. Uh, immediately after uh, the report, over 800 pages that we had written about 9-11, came back from the review by the CIA and the FBI and the other intelligence agencies to determine uh, if uh, if the report or any parts of it needed to be withheld for national security or other reasons, uh, I immediately saw that the chapter about who funded uh, the uh, 19 hijackers, the chapter that pointed a strong uh, finger of suspicion at Saudi Arabia had been uh, censored. It was gone, the 28 blank pages. Uh, uh, I immediately uh, protested that uh, there was no reason uh, to withhold this information, that it was important. Uh, I personally think had that information been released at the time, we would not have gone to war in Iraq. That wow. The, we would have seen it wasn't Iraq that was helping al-Qaeda. Uh, it was Saudi Arabia. So if we wanted to go, if we felt the need to go to war with somebody, we, we had picked the wrong uh, country. But uh, then I got a resolution signed by almost half the members of the U.S. Senate urging that the 28 pages be released. Uh, that was ignored by the then Bush administration. Uh, when, o when President Obama ran for president, uh, he told uh, several of the families of victims of 9-11 that if elected, he would release the 28 pages, uh, but he didn't until seven and a half years into his uh, administration. Uh, and I kept pounding away uh, wherever I could find an audience uh, or uh, a readership for uh, a column or op-ed in a newspaper. I took advantage of it. And finally, on July the 15th of this year, the 28 pages were made available. Uh, that's not the end of what we need to do, but it's an important Step. I refer to it as the 28 pages were with the cork and the bottle, and now that the cork has been removed, it'll be easier for the rest of the content of the bottle to flow out. Yeah, and that's that's how these. And uh, we're back live. I, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Florida Senator or former Florida Senator Bob Graham. Uh, it's a very poignant interview that he gave us because. There were documents recently released about 9-11. They did not get a lot of attention because of the election, which sucked up the entire election, uh, the news cycle for the last eight months. 
So we're going to take a very short break and we'll be right back with Oski Gonzalez. This is the Only in Miami show. Everybody is a friend that you haven't met yet. Everybody is a friend that you haven't met yet. Everybody is a friend that you haven't met yet. Everybody is a friend that you haven't met yet. Say hello, good day, and like the party all night. From sunrise to sunset, there's always something going on. Something going on. Since dirty dancing feels so good, it can never be wrong. That's why I say everybody is a friend. That you haven't met yet. Everybody is a friend. That you haven't met yet. Everybody is a friend. That you haven't met yet. That's how they chill. Uh, and the music, all oh, the music set you so on fire. Yeah. On every corner, there's a juke joint to get you high. That's why I say, everybody is a friend. Everybody is a friend. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live in studio with Oski Gonzalez from the Oski Foundation. Thank you for joining us in the studio. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I, I really enjoyed listening to your song over the break. Everybody is has a friend, right? Everybody is a friend. Everybody is a friend. That you haven't met yet. That you haven't met yet. So, I mean, it's it's a really cool song. It's yeah, a t- song it's a song that was written by God, to be honest with you. And, and and it's a new song for you guys, right? It is. It is. Um we went to New Orleans uh, Easter Sunday weekend and we went into the studio with uh Dale Patrick Latino a producer from New Orleans that I met at Churchill's in February. Okay. And I handed him one of my CDs, and I told him that I wrote a song about his city because I'm falling in love with New Orleans. And uh, he heard it. He heard the CD, and he called me back a couple days later. We spoke on the phone for a couple hours. And at the end of the conversation, he's like, if you ever want to come to New Orleans to record this, I'd record it for you. That's really cool. So, you know, we jumped in the van, and we drove down there. We knocked the song out. Um... And we've been blessed by the best of the best of New Orleans and, and the band that, that's, that's playing on there, the Oski Foundation, the guys in the band are trunk tight and we recorded it old school style. We did four takes. The last take was the one that we were happy with and we pressed it. Um, on the record we have um, Walter Rody Ramsey from the Stooges Brass Band playing horns and, uh, and um, Drew Baham from Big Sam's Funky Nation. We got Sticky T who sang on backup vocals on the guitar uh, lead guitar and co-writer of the song is my friend um, David Hidalgo. We had Amari uh, Rovina on bass and uh, Aldo X Canals on rhythm guitar. On the on the rap is my sister Guita the poet, 
And, um, you know, it was mixed and uh, engineered by uh, another friend of ours in New Orleans. It does some really cool stuff. His name is Darius Hoskins. And we got 15 people on the spreadsheet, on the split sheet for the song. Well, and, uh, so it's it's a big ensemble. For it's this a big song. ensemble for the song. It's something that's completely out of our box and out of our realm. I don't know anything about New Orleans music, but uh, we, we we met everyone there. It was so so nice and so pleasant, and we met uh, this young lady named Maggie in front of the house we rented. They were walking down the street singing, and we're from out of town, so we're like, "Hey, what's up? We're from out of town. We're a rock band from Miami." And then a few minutes later, we met her boyfriend named Brian Giroux, and. Uh, and an hour later, together, huh? no, an hour later, we were in a guy's house, ten, 10 deep, and uh, you know, I was telling him that my wife and I were thinking about moving to New Orleans and buying a house, and he said something that changed my life. He said, "You know, the thing is, Oski, is that in New Orleans, everybody's a friend that you haven't met yet, and that's all it took." That is probably all it took. I mean, it sounds it's great an, on, no, it's an on amazing the radio. Story. And, it's and an it amazing story. story. I wish we can. Uh, I wish we can play the whole song because you cut it off right when it got really funky. Oh, we can pick it up. We can yeah, pick it up yeah, after yeah. the break and, and and play the rest of it. Absolutely. Uh, actually, you're gonna stick around and we're gonna listen yeah, I'm to hanging Oski out. Foundation yeah, we'll play some Oski. Tonight, right? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, so tell- and uh, you've been listening to Oski Gonzalez, and his band is the Oski Foundation. I highly suggest you guys check them out. And we're gonna take a very short break, and we're gonna come back with a clip from Miami's mayor, Tomas Regalado. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. Well, we had Miami's Mayor Tomas Regalado on the program this year to discuss sea level rise. Mayor Regalado was given a question to ask at the Republican primary debate in Miami in March, and it turned out to be the only substantive question about sea level rise that was asked or about climate change that was asked in any of the debates. It was a very disappointing thing to find out that that would be the only question. But just days after Mayor Regalado's question was asked at the national debate, he joined us live in the studio. Let's take a listen. 
Mr. Regalado, thank you for so much for joining us on well, the program thank you tonight. for inviting me. Well, it's been a very interesting week in politics, don't you think? Yes, it has. And it still is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, tomorrow's Election Day. Right. And last week, Salem Communications, this radio network, was one of the sponsors of the Republican debate, which was held in Miami. And they gave you the opportunity to ask a question. So please tell our audience a little bit about why you decided to ask Marco Rubio specifically about climate change. Well, it, it first, uh, if, if I can, <clears throat> let me uh, tell the audience and tell you that this dates back to January. In January, several mayors of cities uh, with uh, waterfront property, we wrote a letter to uh, Marco Rubio and Governor Jeb Bush. And that letter, we asked them to talk about climate change, but especially sea level rise. Uh, we never got a response. So when the mayors, uh, and that includes Mayor Kaysen of Coral Gables, uh, Cindy Lerner, Pinecrest, and uh, Stutter from South Miami, Cota Bay, uh, Palmetto Bay. So we, we all signed that letter and we sent that letter to CNN and uh, I was really surprised when uh, Jake the moderator called my office and, and said listen uh, it was two days before the debate listen you uh, wrote a letter you signed a letter and I said yes uh, along with all the mayors and uh, if I can if I can ask a question about sea level rise, uh, what would be the question? So I I told them uh, that at least we want them to acknowledge uh, that there is an issue with sea level rise. And the reason I did that, Grant, is because in Paris, the only city represented uh, in South Florida was the city of Miami in the COP22 meeting. And by the way, it was said at the conference that the area with the most assets exposed to sea level rise is the greater Miami area in the world. Not in my, not in Florida. We're number one. <laughs> so we're we're yeah. back at number one. Not, not maybe where we want to be, number one. Right. But, but yeah. and and then uh, you know, I, I said, well, that that is the question that I would ask if I could. Uh, and he said, okay, um, I'll try. Uh, so I didn't know if he was going to be able to ask that question, but he did. And I was watching on TV and I was, wow, kind of surprised. Well, did you realize that that was the first climate change I question yeah. asked in 10 GOP debates? Right, right. And, and that's, you know, CNN had the courage to ask that. I mean, they could have used their time to ask about, well, what do you call baby uh, Marcos or, or Cruz is a baby or whatever, but they did spend time. So you got to hand it to, C to CNN. They did the right thing. I think, I think that there's never been, like you said, a conversation about sea level rise in the Republican debates uh, for month and month and month. Here we are at debate number 10, uh, a quarter of the votes are cast and a quarter will be cast tomorrow. And this is the first time it's even popped on the radar. And I actually uh, spoke with Mayor Jimenez uh, today 
and got this quote, which I'd like to share with with you and our audience. Miami-Dade County has been aggressively working to adapt to the impacts of climate change and sea level for nearly 30 years. Mayor Jimenez and his administration are leading projects such as the $13.5 billion water and sewer modernization project, as well as incorporating sea level rise into the uh, construction of all structures in Miami-Dade County. And he's also a member of the Republican Party as well. Well, Miami-Dade County wasn't represented in Paris. Yeah. And and that's a shame because we should have been. Uh, the governor wasn't represented in, in the Paris conference. That is a shame. Well, uh, we, we both know, you and I. Yeah. But, yeah, but, but maybe, maybe the, the listening audience doesn't know. Maybe you don't know out there that the governor of Florida denies climate change and banned right. the words climate change. But the thing is... From that, his administration. The thing is that I believe that we are the only local government, including the county, that has a sea level rise committee in the city of Miami. As a matter of fact, they're meeting tonight, and what they are proposing is several things. Uh, Number one, Billy Corbin, who created Cocaine Cowboys and is the head of the Raconteur uh, production company. Billy, thank you so much for joining us in the studio tonight. Shout out to Afro Beta. Great song. Yeah, awesome song. We're going to be listening to Afro Beta all night tonight. We've got some Danger Flow. It's good. We're, we're rolling. You got X. We are... You got some E. You holding? Who's holding? Wanda? <laughs> nah, nah, I don't right. think Wanda has any. Okay. <laughs> so, Just checking. So what's the I latest? Only have only a Flocka. On only Flocka. That's it. That's no bath salts, huh? No, it's basically the same thing. Gravel. It's... Gravel to the kids in Tennessee. <laughs> Shout out to Justin Timberlake. <laughs> so what's what's on the agenda tonight? Well, sit and shiva for Fidel Castro, obviously. Oh, yes. That's it. Yes, Incidentally, sure morning. Uh, Feliz Castro Muerte to you. Feliz Castro Muerte. <laughs> uh, wishing everybody a happy Castro death uh, today. That seems to be the way, certainly the way this town is going. Not a lot I missed of, it all. I missed it all. I've been in Tampa this whole time. And in, up there. Where they have the, the world's best uh, or, or Florida's best Cuban sandwich. In Tampa, home of the home That's of what the they Cuban. say, but I don't believe it. I, it's a pretty good Cuban sandwich. I'm not going to lie. I think it's a good it's a good battle, uh, Miami versus Tampa. Yeah, it's it's not. And bad, now the Castro's but... dead. That's the only thing left to talk about as far as <laughs> as far as the, as far as Cuba's concerned. Um, little anticlimactic, no? Yeah, right. The shriveled up little like you know Cuban California raisin like in his <laughs> in his Adidas tracksuit, just like just lying dead. I mean, I really thought that after the nuclear holocaust there would be cockroaches twinkies and fidel castro two out, two out of two out of three two out of three ain't bad i mean the man survived 10 presidents and and i guess I, that's what and I, he had to go on black friday go figure that's what, that's <laughs> capitalism bro but like but that's what ozzy Guillen was getting at you know when he made those very controversial remarks uh years ago like grand opening grand closing when he was hired and fired oh yeah because ozzy went ozzy like he said things that like oh big surprise right but yeah you know what he was getting at when he said he he admired or respected Fidel Castro was his survival, like the fact sure. that the fact that he, the man should not have been alive, should not have been in power. I mean, this is one of the longest reigns of power other than what like Queen Elizabeth. Right. Like, That's I right. Mean, so, I, I mean, and the queen doesn't exactly do as much as Fidel does. Well, but not for the last 10 years. That's why it's so anticlimactic, of course, because it's like we've already seen a post Fidel Cuba and it's not any better for the people on that island. For it's the most a little part. bit better. That's it, what everybody un says. Poquito, I mean, it, it, look, photography is not a crime.com is still banned, but you can get the Miami Herald now. So what does that tell you? It's a badge. of That's a badge of honor. But like, it is. isn't everybody banned in Cuba? Like, how no, you, no. Really? The, the New York Times is not banned in Cuba. Really? The, the Miami Herald is not banned in Cuba because the Miami Herald is not doing anything that might provoke thought. 
whereas <laughs> photographyisnotacrime.com is. <laughs> That's tremendous. Well, I mean, think about it. Just the name alone. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say that that. You know, people get the government they deserve. I think that's true not only in a democracy. <laughs> I think that's evidenced certainly by our democratic process uh, this year. And and I sure. think it's 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 it, certainly that government was imposed upon the people of Cuba. But the Batista regime was not really. It was like just another banana republic dictator before the other banana republic dictator. And and it was sort of I guess it it was which team are you on? You know that that you liked one more than the other. But it wasn't. But they've never really had a good government. And whose fault? Is that uh, you know you have to wonder? Okay, that's a very fair point. I think, and uh, we're going to take a very short break. I hope you enjoyed listening to Mayor Regalado, the mayor of Miami, and a clip with Billy Corbin, the creator of Cocaine Cowboys in the movie The U. We're going to come back with our last segment with Peter Zluski of Crane Spotters and Condo Vultures up next, and we'll be right back. This is the only in Miami show. Is that insanity or vanity? I think it's nothing but the power of the mind. Believe she put it in me because I live on my dreams. I get my fantasies wings. One day I'm gonna be king. I'm gonna make that woman so proud of the sun. I know you heard about changes. Go change. One question: Will you be there? Will you be there? I'll be there with my hands held. Live in studio with Peter Zluski. He is the founder of. Crane Spotters, the data company, and Condo Vultures. So, Peter, we've got five minutes left. Yes. And you wanted to talk about Dade. So let's talk about it. What are the numbers in Dade, and what are we seeing in the Miami-Dade luxury condo market? Well, what we're seeing in the Miami-Dade, um, well, I wouldn't say luxury, all condos east of Interstate 95, but okay. only, only in Dade County. Um, right now, there's just under 11,000 units that are actively available for sale. Condominiums only as of today. Average ask price is about five seventy a foot, and the average price per door is uh, $1,000,000 or so. Oh, that's so affordable. Definitely um, affordable. I think that everybody in Miami is going to rush out to buy the average condo it's only slightly above a million dollars i mean what's the median income in miami-dade county anyway uh that people are going to use to afford that uh per individual it's south of 25 grand right (laughs) so i mean won't owners face tremendous price pressure once they start having to pay the condo maintenance and the real estate taxes on these units which is why I think the days of the renter being subsidized by the landlord who can't necessarily unload their unit is probably very clear and close. If you remember back in 2005, there were a lot of individuals who basically were living in rock star type of places. And they basically, the rent they were, they were paying wasn't even covering the carry cost for the landlord. But the landlord continued to fork uh, out money and pay for it because they were sort of playing for the appreciation. I remember those days all too well, and if you're a listener out there and you want to have some fun, Google Grant Stern and New York Times and get a laugh out of that. <laughs> That's all I can say about it. So uh, so we're going to see it again. We're going to see another, you know, rents are not going to keep going upward and upward and skyward because right now it's kind of ridiculous. Um, I mean, I got to say that uh, when I was shopping about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. um, we only found two bedroom, two bath apartments that were pretty undesirable, ones with building views and whatnot. And they cost about twenty five hundred, twenty six hundred a month for a two bedroom, two bath apartment in a nice building. So are we going to start seeing the uh, less expensive, larger apartment sometime soon, do you think? It's our opinion. And there's people who disagree, obviously. Lot, I have a lot of people disagree with me on most of the things we say, but it, it's our opinion. We've already peaked out on the rental market and we're, we're, we've stalled and we're likely headed downward. And the downward pressure is going to come basically from these new condos that will come online and those landlords. 
landlords are going to look to sort of rent him out, and then that'll put pressure on the existing landlord who's holding properties that was uh, a property that was built maybe 10 years ago during the previous cycle, and now suddenly the only way they can be competitive is ultimately to discount the price. So our expectation is uh, going forward, rents have already peaked, and I'm not saying they're going to go back to where they were back in 2009, which was the close to the bottom of the market, if not the bottom of the market, but I would expect some sort of... Um, uh, uh, you know, break or some sort of easing of rents for those renters. So if you were a renter, I would say your days of paying top rent, uh, you know, fingers crossed, uh, should be gone um, and should be changing relatively quickly for us. Well, Peter, thank you so much for joining us uh, for a long studio interview and enlightening our audience about what is really going on in South Florida's diverse um, and internationally watched condominium market. Um, Grant, I would just like to say before I do go, I told you in South Florida, just in terms of supply, we were talking about 13.5 months of supply of condos. Right. In, in Dade County, it stands at uh, 18.3 months. So, wow. so so the number in Dade is actually, uh, it's much larger than what we have. And, and these are only resales. This does not factor in uh, those condos that are slated to come up in Dade, which again, close uh, in the pipeline, 36,000 units. Well, one last question. And then we, we're going to bring Tomas Diaz in the studio mm-hmm. and talk with him about his new album. And, and that's all we have for tonight's program. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to the what I call the greatest hits, the most informative segments of the Only in Miami show. We come out here every single week, Monday night, 7 to 8 p.m., and we bring guests that are important to everyone in Miami, citywide, and sometimes beyond. So tonight you got to hear from Miami Mayor Thomas Regalado, from movie director Billy Corbin, from musician Oski Gonzalez, from Peter Zaluski of Crane Spotters and Condo Vultures, the real estate uh, intelligence firm, and from former Florida Senator Bob Graham. Each one of these guests lives here in Miami, and their importance is very, very expansive, locally, nationally, in different places around the country, but that's why we brought them all here so that we could present their ideas to you on the Only in Miami show. And that's why we're here every week, and we love hearing from you, the audience. Um, We love that you guys are supporting us by listening, by spreading the word, and we want to wish you guys the very best holiday season, no matter what holiday you're celebrating next week, whether it's Hanukkah or Christmas or some other holiday, it is, uh, you know, our hope that everybody in Miami gets a chance to tune into our program and to stay informed. And we'll be back next Monday night. This is the Only in Miami show. What's the best way to say I love you this season? Contour Day Spa. 